Welcome to our weekly Catechism class. This lesson is a weekly look at the Heidelberg Catechism to help us to learn Christian doctrine with a warm and a practical application. Every lesson has an accompanying study guide. The web link to find that guide is in the episode notes. Now, let's start the class and learn the lessons. So welcome to our Catechism class. We've been looking at Lord's Day 15. And now we arrive at question 38. Question 38 asks, Why did he, Jesus, suffer under Pontius Pilate as judge? And the answer we must give is that although innocent, Christ was condemned by an earthly judge. And so he freed us from the severe judgment of God that was to fall on us. Our instructor is leading us to the cross. In our last lesson, I tried to impress upon you that the cross of Christ was the singular most important event in the whole of the history of mankind. For at the cross, God the Creator gave his only begotten Son to die, to take upon himself all the guilt and sin and punishment and wrath that was ever due to us, God's rebellious creatures. And Jesus died there willingly, and he died without hesitation. Every sin ever committed by a sinner was paid for at the cross. Christ's death is enough. There's nothing that needs to be added to that perfect sacrifice. But now we're confronted with a question that might almost seem at first glance like a distraction. We're asked, why did he suffer under Pontius Pilate? Why indeed? And why is it so important for us to know the reason? I'm Bob McAvoy, and this is the Semper Reformata Podcast. So the answer to question 38 gets right to the very heart of the sheer injustice of the trial and suffering of the Saviour. But in order for us to fully understand it, the first step would be to actually find out who Pontius Pilate was and what part he played in the trial and crucifixion of Jesus. If you want to do some research of your own, there's a great resource on the Gospel Coalition website explaining the roles of all the people involved in the crucifixion. But before you do that, let's concentrate on Pilate himself. In the Roman Empire, governors were appointed by Rome to administer the empire's affairs in that particular region. So in the province of Judea from AD 26 to AD 37, the governor was one Marcus Pontius Pilate, serving under the emperor of the day, Caesar Tiberius, or rather Tiberius Caesar. Probably, if he had not been instrumental 
In the death of the Lord Jesus, no one would ever have heard of Pontius Pilate. We know him because he gets mentioned, not only in the Gospels, but in the Nicene Creed, as well as in the Apostles' Creed, which is why our catechist brings him to our attention here in question 38. He was the fifth governor of Judea, probably belonged to a prominent family in Rome, the Pontae, but no one knows anything about his life prior to his appointment as governor or about how he was given the position. We do have secular confirmation of his historicity because of the so-called Pilate Stone and some still extant coins with his inscription and his mentions in the secular histories of Josephus and Tacitus, the Roman historian. We do know that Pilate wasn't liked by the Jews. If you look up Luke chapter 13 and verse 1, you'll see the reference to Pilate having mingled the blood of some Galileans with their sacrifices. Pilate had no respect whatsoever for the religious and cultural sensibilities of the Jews. One website reports, Roman rulers were renowned for their brutality and corruption, but Pilate's reputation superseded most. In AD 50, Jewish philosopher Philo of Alexandria supposedly reprimanded him severely for his briberies, insults, robberies, outrages and wanton injuries, executions without trial, constantly repeated, ceaseless and supremely grievous cruelty. Pilate's hatred for the Jews was intense and he actually deliberately infuriated them. Under Jewish law, images of the Roman government were forbidden in Jerusalem, but Pilate allowed troops to carry shields with the Roman emperor Tiberius uh, on the front of the shield into the city. Josephus tells us in his book that Pilate was recalled to Rome after he had violently suppressed an armed rebellion by Samaritans. He was due to report on his actions before Tiberius Caesar, but before Pilate arrived at Rome, the emperor died, and nothing more was heard of Pontius Pilate. But without doubt, Pilate's infamy, his notoriety, lies in the part that he played in the trial and the condemnation and the crucifixion of Christ. Let's briefly recall those events. Jesus had appeared before the Sanhedrin, the Jewish council, and had, as expected, been condemned. But there the Jews could do no more. Only the Roman authorities could actually carry out an execution. So the case had to be brought before the Roman governor, and that was Pilate. In claiming to be the Messiah, Jesus had claimed kingship, and that was an offence under Roman law, claiming to be equal with the emperor. Remember that the cock had crowed, morning had dawned, and the Roman court would begin first thing in the morning. It was time for Jesus to appear at Pilate's judgment hall. The Jews dragged their prisoner to the governor's palace, known as the Praetorium. Interestingly, it is the Passover, and those Jews couldn't enter a Gentile house. They would be ceremonially unclean if they did, so Pilate came out of the court to meet them in the open air. In John 18 and verse 28 to 29, it says they led Jesus from Caiaphas unto the hall of judgment, and it was early, and they themselves went not into the judgment hall, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. Pilate then went out unto them.
How absurd is that? The Jews were fanatical about external purity, and yet their hearts were full of black hatred for the one who was pure and sinless. Pilate went back into the palace. Jesus has now been taken there and he questions this prisoner. He asked Jesus if he was the king of the Jews. Jesus told him that his kingdom was not of this world. Pilate went back out to the Jews and made this historic and important statement in John 18. Pilate said to them, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews and saith unto them, I find no fault in him at all. But ye have a custom that I should release unto you one at the Passover. Will ye therefore that I release unto you the king of the Jews? Then cried they all again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. John 19. We read that Pilate had Jesus flogged. Now Pilate was a low-ranking official, a procurator. And as such, he would not have been attended by lictors, those ceremonial rod-bearers who would usually have carried out such beatings. So Jesus was scourged by soldiers. It would have been brutal. Not only was he physically beaten, but he was mocked by these rough men, taking their fun at the expense of a defenceless and harmless man. They put a crown of thorns on his head, and they put a purple robe on him, and they mocked him. And they punched him with their fists. Still, even at that point, Pilate tried to have Jesus acquitted. In fact, he tried four times to convince the Jews that Jesus was innocent. In John eighteen twenty-eight to John 19, verse 16. Not just the verse I read a moment ago, but on another three occasions in John 19. In verse 4, Pilate went forth again, and said unto them, Behold, I bring him forth to you, that ye may know that I find no fault in him. Behold the man. Verse 6. When the chief priests therefore and the officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Take ye him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. Verse 9 and went again into the judgment hall, and saith unto Jesus, Whence art thou? But Jesus gave him no answer. Then saith Pilate unto Jesus, Speakest thou not unto me? Knowest thou not that I have the power to crucify thee, and have power to release thee? Jesus answered, Thou couldst have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. Wherefore he that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin. And from thenceforth, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, If thou let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend. Whosoever maketh himself a king speaketh against Caesar. Now it may have been that last jibe, that last comment about the man who makes himself a king speaking against Caesar, that convinced Pilate that he had no choice but to crucify Jesus. The last thing he wanted was for a rumour to get back to Rome that he had allowed even the slightest disrespect of Caesar. So in a selfish act of self-preservation, Pilate ordered the crucifixion. Pilate detested the Jews, but confronted by the Son of God and convinced of his innocence, he could find no fault in him, and that would haunt him. 
pilot may actually have had a plan B. He had discovered that Jesus was from Galilee, and it just so happened that Herod Antipas was in town for the day, for the Passover. He was one of Herod the Great's four sons. This Herod was a ruler in Galilee and in Perea. He'd reigned there for 42 years, from 4 BC to AD 39, also known as Herod the Tetrarch. In Luke chapter 23 and verse 7 to 12, we read about this incident. It seems to fit in around John 19 and verse 2, for Luke records that it was actually Herod's soldiers who had placed the robe on Jesus before sending him back to Pilate. And that brings me to another player in this story. Pilate had a wife, allegedly known as Claudia, the granddaughter of the Emperor Augustus. Some extra-biblical texts suggest that she was a convert to Judaism, but there's no actual proof of that. But she had a bad feeling that day, a bad feeling about the events in Jerusalem. Isn't it strange that the only person who spoke up for Jesus in those long hours of torture was this particular woman? And notice in the text that she declares his righteousness also. She talks about this just man. Matthew 27 and verse 19. When he was set down on the judgment seat, his wife sent unto him, saying, Have thou nothing to do with that just man? For I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. So Pilate has a choice. He makes the wrong one. He returned to the pavement outside the palace to make final pleas to the Jews. It was the preparation of the Passover about the sixth hour, records John's Gospel, chapter 19. And Pilate saith unto the Jews, Behold your king. But they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. Then delivered he him therefore unto them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. That wasn't the end of Pilate's involvement, of course. We're told that he wrote and placed an inscription above the cross, an inscription which read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. We'll look more closely at that in a moment or two. It made the chief priests irate. Denying his messiahship, they petitioned Pilate to change the wording to read, This man said, I am a king of the Jews. That would have implied that Jesus was a liar, a criminal, a traitor to Rome, an insurrectionist. But Pilate was in no mood to acquiesce to their wishes. He said, What I have written, I have written. And of course, after the death of Jesus, Pilate gave permission for Joseph of Arimathea to remove the body from the cross, and with the help of Nicodemus, to lay it in his own private tomb. So Jesus, God's only begotten Son, the Saviour of the world and the Messiah of Israel, has died at the hands of Pontius Pilate. Now why would that fact be included in the Apostles' Creed? Why would it be taken up for us by the Catechist? What's so important about this fact that Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate? And we're going to look at that. 
But before we do, let's just pause for a moment. We've been thinking about the trial, the unjust trial, the condemnation, the scourging, and the death of Jesus. Let's just pause for a moment and worship him who died for sinners. Here's Psalm 42. Okay, so let's return to our original question. Why did Jesus suffer under Pontius Pilate as judge? Here's a few reasons. Well, first of all, because in his condemnation under Pontius Pilate, Jesus was declared to be innocent. 
though innocent, Christ was condemned by an earthly judge. It was a public declaration of innocence. Now that's really important. You'll have heard the old maxim that justice must not only be done, but it must also be seen to be done. God's justice is just the same. It will be seen to be done. It's done openly. So it would not do in God's plan for the Jews to have simply taken the Lord Jesus and hatch some secret plot against him and take his life somewhere in the darkness or have him killed during a riot or an uprising at Jerusalem. This declaration of innocence, this subsequent perversion of justice that follows it, it must be seen by all men in all generations in every nation right up to the end of time. So Pilate, who is the representative of earthly authority, having examined Jesus, declares him to be innocent. He finds no fault in him. There is no earthly reason for this man to be punished, to be tortured, much less than to be executed. Pilate would have gratefully handed him back to the Jews to deal with him under their own laws. But that couldn't include execution. In John 18 and verse 31, Pilate said to them, Take ye him and judge him according to your law. The Jews therefore said unto him, It is not lawful for us to put any man to death, but he must die. And so even though Pilate declared over and over again that Jesus was innocent of any crime or fault, he still is condemned. Now contrast that with us. Sinners who deserve to be condemned. If we were to stand before our eternal judge in our sins, justice, pure justice would demand that we would be utterly condemned and that would be right. But the sinless Jesus was condemned by one of us, by Pilate, in the place of sinful men and women. Not only was Jesus declared to be innocent that day, but he was declared to be the king. It was Pilate's doing that the inscription above the cross was written. Although some commentators reckon he didn't actually write it himself, but that he ordered it to be written and to be erected. But look what it declared. It declared that Jesus' death was the fulfilment of prophecy. There's an ancient prophecy which was recalled in Matthew 2 and verse 23. He came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be a Nazarene. Pilate's inscription, even if it was unwittingly on Pilate's part, was telling out that Jesus is the Messiah, prophesied in the Old Testament, Jesus the Nazarene, the one whom Isaiah described as a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. So Pilate's inscription tells us that Jesus' death was the fulfilment of prophecy, but it also tells us that that death was the death of the king. Pilate wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Some commentators will point out that Pilate here was simply being sarcastic or that he was deliberately provoking the Jews. 
Regardless, he made it known that the death of Christ was the death of the Messiah, the King of the Jews. But his kingdom was not of this world. Pilate had already found this out. Jesus was no threat to Caesar. He came to conquer sin and death and hell, and that's a different kingdom altogether. In that inscription, we find that Jesus' death was for the whole world. Interestingly, the inscription is in three languages. It's in Hebrew, well, possibly Aramaic, the vernacular language of the Hebrews. It's also in Latin, the official language of the Roman Empire. And it's in Greek, for everyone speaks Greek, back in those days. It was the international language of trade and commerce. No one would miss the message that the Messiah, the King of the Jews, was crucified, that he died on the cross for Jews and for Gentiles, for every class and every language and every strata in society. And that Jesus' death was for you and me. It's interesting because there's something missing from it. The inscription includes no actual criminal charge. Usually such an inscription would indicate the crime for which the criminal was being executed. It would be a deterrent then to other potential criminals. So it would say the name of the criminal and it would say murderer, thief, adulterer and so on. That's what made the Jews so mad. When Pilate nailed the inscription to the cross... Jesus was still being declared as innocent. He has done nothing wrong. An innocent man put to death for sins he did not commit, for the very sins that we commit daily, and the Jews didn't want that to be known. So when his condemnation under Pontius Pilate, Jesus was declared to be innocent, and in his inscription above the cross, he was declared to be the King and the Saviour. And then, in his condemnation under Pontius Pilate, God's will was done. I wonder, have you noticed how many times Jesus was handed over? He was identified by Judas and handed over to the mob of temple police who were sent to arrest him. And they handed him over to the chief priests, who handed him over to Pilate, who handed him to King Herod Antipas, who handed him back to Pilate, who handed him over to the soldiers to be crucified. But please be aware, it was God, ultimately, who handed over his own son for us. Here's how Paul described it in Romans chapter 8 and verse 32. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us? all things. You see, it was God who delivered up his own son. There's a Christian poem that reminds us that he could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set him free. He could have called 10,000 angels, but he died alone for you and me. It was the will of God from the foundation of the world that the Lamb of God should be slain. We read that in Revelation 13 and verse 8. God's will was done. And it's because of that that we don't fear the secular authorities. It was God who ordained that Jesus should come into this world when he did. 
It was no accident that Rome was the conquering power, that Judah was occupied, that the Jews would reject their saviour, that Pilate would be the governor, that crucifixion would be the method of death by execution. It was all God-ordained. Jesus even said to Pilate, you would have no power except that it was given to you from above. In Romans chapter 13 and verse 1, Paul writes that every soul should be subject unto the higher powers, and here's why. For there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. So the time was right. Galatians 4 and 4 tells us that when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son. It is God who controls the entire universe. And no matter what happens, we trust in his providence, in his sovereignty, in his plan, no matter who the ruler might be. And in the actions of Pilate, we see the ultimate truth in Romans 8 and 28, that we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. So in this lesson, we have learned who Pilate was, and we have learned what he did and why he did it, and we have even drawn some simple application from it. We know nothing of Pilate's later life. It's pure speculation, but some commentators have noted that the Gospel accounts are actually quite lenient with Pilate. They cite Pilate's reluctance to condemn, and his refusal to change the inscription, and his willingness to permit a decent burial. In later non-canonical writings, this leniency is even more pronounced. The Eastern Church of Abyssinia apparently regards Pilate as a saint. They believe that he was so moved and convicted by guilt that he repented and believed and trusted in Christ. And they celebrate St. Pilate's Day on the 25th of June. The Greek Orthodox Church assigns Pilate's wife St. Claudia a feast on October the 27th each year. Now there is no evidence of any conversion whatsoever. But we know that Christ's death is sufficient for every sinner as one evangelist used to say, from the uttermost to the guttermost. And Pilate was certainly in the gutter of humanity. But then, no one is beyond the reach of God's grace. Wouldn't it be interesting and glorifying to God if one day we meet Pontius Pilate in heaven? Who knows? Well, anyway, that's enough for this lesson. A longer than usual episode. So next time I promise I'll try to keep to my 20-minute target. And in our next episode of the podcast, we'll ask what is significant about the fact that Jesus died on a cross on a wooden tree. Mm-hmm.